we're approaching 10 million, at least across all things, affiliate sponsorships, course sales, and now community. The beauty now is, and I'm sure we'll get into this, is we now have, for the first time, recurring revenue in our educational business. And that Ooh. is amazing. <laughs> uh, and, and, and we'll uncover more of that later. Welcome to the Action Academy Podcast. Stand back while I celebrate freedom. The show where we help you achieve financial independence with the mindsets, methods, and actionable steps from guests who've already earned their freedom. The flags of freedom fly. Choose to do what you want. What you want. With who you want. With who you want. When you want. When you want. With another episode today. Now, here's your host, Brian Lubin. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Action Academy podcast. Today, we have a beautiful trio on the podcast. It's the buy one, get one free media special. We have none other than Pat Flynn and Matt Gartland. So let's rock and roll, man. This is going to be an amazing episode, and I'm excited to rock. What we will do is throughout this podcast, I'll ask questions, we'll ask prompts, and then for people listening, I'll say Pat and then Matt, and then we'll be able to have each individual answer the questions from that angle. So, so Pat, we'll start with an introduction to you, my friend. Who is Pat Flynn? Yeah. What's up, man? Thanks for having us. I really appreciate it. So I am an entrepreneur who's been doing this for over 15 years now. I started in 08 after I got laid off from the architecture industry. My first online business was helping people pass an architectural exam, and that online business did extremely well. I started teaching how I did that on smartpassiveincome.com, where I started to share everything very openly about what I did, what I wish I'd done differently. And I think what put me on the map initially was I started to share my income reports. So how much money I was making, where it was all coming from, how much I was spending, where I was losing money sometimes, some months were up, some months were down, but either way, it was a very different approach to teaching education in the world of entrepreneurship. It was by example, not just here I'm an expert. I didn't think I was an expert. I just sh I just knew what I knew and I shared it. And I think people really loved that. I was also a family man and still am. So people resonated with that as well versus the Lamborghini mansion sort of wielding person. I'm just like the normal guy who figured it out and I'm here to help and, and share. And that eventually turned into a podcast that grew. We're approaching 80 million downloads on that show now, and it's still running now 13 years later. A YouTube channel, several books, speaking on stage. And what's interesting and where it crosses over with Matt is for the longest time, I think seven or eight years, it was just me. I didn't want anybody else in the business. I couldn't imagine anybody else doing what I do. However, it got to the point where I knew that if I wanted to serve more people, I'd either have to be okay not doing that because I couldn't handle it, burn out, or hire some really amazing talent to bring on. And I hired Matt's agency, Winning Edits, which eventually I bought out and brought his people on board. And Matt is now the CEO of SPI Media so that I can focus more on the creative parts and things. And Matt's just helping run in the, and, and operate the ship like a like a like like an amazing captain like he is. I'm sure he can add some color to that story as well. But that's where we're at today. And today I have the podcast and the channel. And we have a thriving community now of entrepreneurs who love to get help from us. And we're just really grateful for that. Dude, that's awesome. Can you share any top line revenue numbers from like across everything? Like we have a mutual friend, Amy Porterfield came on, she did 80 million in course sales. Do you know off the top of your head, like ballpark for the audience so they can yeah, understand not the scale? Quite 80 million, I would say our offerings are uh, a little bit lower on the price point. However, we do help a lot of the super beginners in this space. And over the years, I think we're approaching 10 million, at least across all things, affiliate sponsorships, course sales, and now community. The beauty now is, and I'm sure we'll get into this, is we now have for the first time 
recurring revenue in our educational business. And that Ooh. is amazing. <laughs> uh, and, and, and we'll uncover more of that later. But that that's a sort of new era of SPI, if you will. It's hilarious when you have the comparison game in all of business, there's always someone else or something else. And then you're like, 10 million, 10, 10, 10 million. And then it's just, just it's, it's insane when you think about that in that perspective, man. And then she yeah. does the same thing. So Matt, I'll, let, I'll throw the bone to you, brother. It's a thrill to be here. So thanks for having us on, Brian. Yeah, a similar story a little bit. I've been an online entrepreneur for over a decade as well with a very different background though. So I got started a little after the Great Recession, but more by choice than than by maybe force in terms of Pat's story. Was in a corporate kind of leadership fast track in enterprise at the intersection of business and tech, which was really cool, but have always been an entrepreneur at heart, right? The kid with the lemonade stand and always like trading business or not baseball cards and different things from childhood. So wanted always to do my own thing. So chose to, to leave and got into a range of digital work. And it started, yes, with winning edits, as Pat mentioned. And this was like really early days, what we now call the creator economies. We were working with New York Times bestselling authors, so in the nonfiction space, back before the term creator was even a thing, and helping really with their story and their messaging. And, and through books, yes, but that quickly led into podcasts and newsletters even back then. That was the origin point for me, at least online, but also through different ventures, got into e-commerce, direct-to-consumer e-commerce, got into just higher-end consulting, so a lot of B2B stuff. So it's an eclectic and not necessarily by design journey for me over the last 10 years, but have had a number of wins, have had losses as well. Like most entrepreneurs, if you've been out there for a while, like some things don't work, some things fail, but had some wins along the way. The best outcome for sure was when Pat and I made a baby, so to speak, you know, uh, and put our companies together. <laughs> at the end Congratulations. Of the <laughs> it's adorable. It's, a it's so cute. It's oh, so it's, cute. It's the cutest. I'm in total proud parent vibes. Yeah, we knew, especially back then, in terms of where certain market forces were going and trends and things that we might dig into a bit more today. Online with education, with small business online, the freelance and entrepreneurial crowd, we knew that we could do more good work. We could serve more people. We would be better together formally than we were independently. Um, mm -hmm. That was the really driving force behind the vision to, to again, make that baby and really co-found a new company by putting winning edits and our talent and expertise into the SPI brand and Born was a new company. So we've been off the races together ever since formally at that point in time. And then along the way, pretty quickly though, we knew that we wanted to evolve the business model. So we've completely then transformed into a membership-based community-powered learning environment for small business owners online. And it's just up and to the right in terms of our MRR growth, which is great. And as Pat mentioned, I helm the ship these days. And then on the side, do Pat a number of kind of other ventures and things on the side. Super cool, man. So welcome both of you guys. So for people listening to the show, I always like to reiterate the importance of podcasting. Because for me, it's so cool because I grew up listening to you, Pat, and I started this whole journey listening to you. And now it's I'm doing the exact same thing that you guys are doing. And you are three to five steps ahead of me. And so this is why you start a podcast, people, because you get to talk to people, you have an excuse and an equal exchange of value to be able to have these one-on-one -on -one conversations and then distribute it to all of these other people at large. So thousands of people get to benefit from the same condensed time frame. So thank you both for coming on. So what I want to do is I want to start off on a couple of terms, some macro terms that I want to let you guys spitball on. I want to first start off with the term solopreneur because that is becoming sexy online. If people are trying to build these one-person online brands, online businesses, 
I don't believe that's the best case. And I believe that you two are an example of the opposite and why it's much better of strengths coinciding. I'll start it with Pat and then throw it to Matt to get your thoughts on this. Yeah, a couple things come to mind. Number one, there's a book called Rocket Fuel that speaks about the same kind of dichotomy, the idea of the visionary in a company and the integrator of the company or the operator. And Matt and I definitely both fit that bill. However, I am uh, very much an operational person too, and Matt is also very much a visionary as well. So we both complement each other in that way, although we know what our strengths are as well. And that's definitely been helpful to be able to delineate that. And as we grow the company, we know where we best can put our strengths, if you will. That being said, that we're talking about a lot of books today. There's another book called, even my dogs agree, Company of One by mm. Paul Jarvis. And this book is really interesting. It was the first time I ever heard somebody say, you know what? I'm okay to not grow. I am satisfied where I am. I'm building a business. I have several clients and they're, they're coming in every single month, but I don't need to scale. I'm good to be just the one. And I'm okay with that. And that's okay too. And I think the big lesson here is we each our own, we, we are each on our own separate journey. And we need to understand what are our own individual goals. And depending on those goals, that will then determine the actions that you take or the team that you build or the team that you maybe don't build. But again, it's really important to understand where you want to go so that you know what actions to take to get there. One, one more question for you, Pat, and then, yep. I'll, and then I'll throw it to Matt. So what you're talking about is having winning clearly defined for you. You're like, okay, what does winning look like in my life? What does winning look like in my business? Can you give an example of what winning maybe used to look like for you in any ways that has changed over your business career, content creation career? Yeah, for the longest time, winning for me was getting invited onto a lot of different stages. I was really wanting to focus on my public speaking, getting in front of audiences, learning the art and craft of performing on stage in that regard. And that was something that I knew was gonna help me better craft my messages and as a byproduct, just help me become a better communicator, but also get me in the green room where other speakers are so I could build relationships with them, right? And that was a way that I could fast track my success, how I got certain guests to come on the podcast that I would have never reached out to otherwise by physically being there where those people are and being able to just literally give them value while there and also have them come on the show and exchange. And some of those people have become best friends now, partners, collaborators, JV venture partners and, and, and whatnot. But those aren't my goals anymore because I have not reached the ceiling, not even close, but I have different goals of now being able to focus on the user experience within our community, right? There's enough of that top end happening and enough of the relationships built where now I do have access to a lot of people and through just first, second, third degree relationships, I could probably get a lot of people on the show in that regard, just from the relationships that I did spend building back in the day. Today, now it's about the customer experiences and a lot of the stuff that I talk about in my book, Superfans, a lot of the front of house stuff, like you said, to better that experience because growth, in my eyes, is very amazing when it happens from within the people who you're already serving. Because mm. now those people have those recommendations that they, they, they're recommending SPI Pro and what we have to offer. And that recommendation is very warm because it's coming from somebody they trust. It's not even like from an ad where it's cold and then we have to build a relationship with them. We could fast forward that success from within. So that's how, in my eyes, for my position, my strategies have changed based on the different goals that we have and the just the different tactics we're using to make that happen. Yeah, I love that. It's building, it's like building your business as if you can't get a single new customer and you can only grow by word of mouth from your current ones. How would you operate that business? So same question to Matt. What does winning look like for you right now as you're heading up this media empire that you guys are creating? 
two thoughts come to mind. One, certainly focus on our members, right? Which are small business owners, a lot of them solopreneurs, which I'd love to come back to that term that you started with, Brian, mm. right? And helping them just become more stable and sustainable with their businesses. Because mm. the, the truth of so much of this is that small businesses across this country don't make it. 50% of small businesses are gone after five years. Uh, 20% are gone after the first year. These are national statistics, US Bureau of Small Business Statistics, right? It's fact. So much of our mission these days at SPI with our members is to help them beat the odds, to find market fit, to improve their own ability, not only to be creative, yes, but to be savvy in terms of their business strategy. What is their model? How are they managing their cash flow? Right? How are they making the next best decision that's right for them on their journey to continue to evolve and hopefully grow however they're defining growth, right? So that's very much number one. Number two, and I don't even want to suggest that it's like one is above two, it's almost like 1A, 1B, is building leaders on the team. So our culture is critical. Mm -hmm. Our team is magical and very special to us. So uh, as the CEO, like it's arguably even my number one job to be investing into them, to nurturing their own development as well. So many of them are interacting with our members. So there's a bit of a, a viral positive loop there which is great with our model. So really elevating of the amazing people that we're privileged to to have on our team is absolutely a definite de definition of winning for me. Yeah. It's the across all these different interviews, it seems the different life cycles of business are A, finding that product market fit, and then B, finding, attracting, and coaching top-tier talent. So you're going from like product market fit to people. And it seems like that's just the natural progression from seven-figure business to the eight-figure business. I actually just did a podcast, ironically, before we even booked this episode right here, about why I would not start an online course business in 2024 and why instead I would go all in on community because I feel like that's mm -hmm. a macro trend in the next five to 10 years. So Pat, online courses versus community, what's the way? Information today is so freely available everywhere that creating a course is getting a lot harder to sell. It's like we're at a buffet line, all of us, we're at a buffet line of content and as a content creator creating just courses, you're just putting more dishes that people can put on their plates. Their plates are already full and we're just like, everybody's bloated and now you're just feeding them more, right? And that's, is that valuable anymore? It was back in the day because that information wasn't available. But it, it is now and it's becoming even more available with AI and how much more quickly we can access this stuff and have even somewhat conversations with robots about them. It's crazy. So the human element becomes more valuable now more than ever, in my opinion. And instead of the buffet line that we're adding a dish to and just going, okay, go eat. There, there, there's more food for you. I want to have the restaurant that serves a very specific kind of dish that a person will plan and bring their friends in to sit down and they have a multi-course meal and they're having experiences, they're having memories, they're having connections. And I can be there as a person, yeah, still feeding them food, but I'm more conscious about what's happening at that table for that group of people. And I wanna make sure I set the environment up correctly so that they'll build memories there and, and continue to wanna come back and recommend the restaurant to their friends. Mm. Right? So, that's the kind of approach I want to take. I want to have that approach where, you know, in, in Japan, Matt and I were in Japan together recently, which was so much fun. But you go into a restaurant and 
there are some restaurants where I, we went into this one sushi restaurant and we don't know how to speak Japanese, right? But I just knew how to say please and thank you. But we sat down, not really even a menu available. The sushi chef just gives you things based on what their recommendations are. And it was the best food we've ever had because we were served very precise things in a very precise manner. And those were just incredible memories that Matt and I were to create together there. So that's what we wanna do for our audience. We wanna have that restaurant that people sit down and have memories at. We don't just want to keep feeding people at a buffet line. Dude, I'm telling y'all right now, Unreasonable Hospitality, that book, you will both devour that freaking book. My one ask is you have a better shot at getting the author on your podcast before I do. When you do it, <laughs> throw me a bone and say, oh, <laughs> all, right. all the by the way, the guy that introed me was this guy. You should be on his podcast because that's what it talks about. You guys will be obsessed with it. Deal. So Matt, to piggyback off of that, man, talk to us about the difference between a one-off revenue, annual recurring revenue, and now the coolest kid on the block, MRR, monthly recurring revenue. Yeah, I, that's increasingly the holy grail for a lot of founder-funded and founder-led small businesses where we're not backed by private equity or venture groups is just that much more predictability and confidence right, in the revenue where it's coming from when it's going to come back around again. And then having direct revenue to our members in terms of, okay, we have a community product, our our members are paying us for that versus, say, an affiliate relationship with a platform that might be producing MRR, but through affiliate commissions. And that's not per se a direct relationship with the end customer. Our end customers are members, the small business owners that we're privileged to serve. We then, because of our MRR, and it's, it is then something we can monitor very closely and grow, like we then intentionally reinvest back into our community. It's then that sort of magical loop where as we continue to do well and, and grow and we make good decisions on how we want to keep reinvesting reasonably back into then that community. We'll continue to attract more amazing members. That M continues to, to grow in a healthy way. It is something where then, especially with retention, right? If we are continuing to serve well, the members, they won't leave. We'll have very low attrition rates, which we already have, I'm proud to say. Very low single digit. So when you stack those actually together, what MRR is on the top line side, but then the churn factor, these become very resilient businesses. And, and that idea of resiliency is something I want to kind of stick on if it's okay for a second, because it loops together by some of the other themes you've brought up, even back to even partnership and the whole nature of like solopreneurship, right? Being an entrepreneur is hard. It's the emotional roller coaster. We all know that, right? There's highs and lows. A lot has changed macroeconomically over the last five years as an online business owner. Pat's dead right. Things that used to work five years ago and especially 10 don't work anymore. You can think back to the gold rush that was Amazon KDP with self-publishing books. That was a heyday. You could do really well. It doesn't work anymore. Different parts of the online market are saturated and it gets saturated very quickly. Started with blogs. We had the book rush with KDP. Podcasting is increasingly saturated and difficult to, to get discovered if you're just starting out. Not to say you shouldn't, but it's just harder, right? That's the hardest. This has yeah. been the hardest thing I've ever done. So I think we just have to, when we have an opportunity like today to get spicy even a little bit and talk about what's happening and celebrate all the good stuff, like also not ignore you know, some of the adversity that we as entrepreneurs face out there. And then how do you find resiliency? Having a business partner really helps with that, quite frankly. It's not right for everybody. I think I've had 11 business partners in my career. Some have worked out great. Some haven't. That's been the best thus far. And it's one way to think about as an entrepreneur, especially if you're a solopreneur right now, not having to be alone or go it alone is maybe thinking about partnering up with someone formally and having 
a duality of thought and, and creativity in this decision-making process for your business. If you choose to then make a business decision to get into something with subscription-based revenue, you know, that produces MRR, it's another great way to build resiliency, right? Into your business model. It's a great way to even teach off of that. So yeah, these themes I think are in fact like the future, not even just trends, but they are like the business fundamentals in, in terms of how I see it for how for the next generation of online entrepreneurs, like we we have a responsibility to not just continue to promote the ways of the old, you know, 10 years ago. We have a responsibility to to talk like this and say, hey, these are the new better ways that are going to help you 10 years plus forward to be more sustainable uh, and and happier and more resilient in your business. Yeah. And it's funny that you say that. I'll play devil's advocate for a bit because when you think about the MRR model, like naturally the hesitation that every single person that's an entrepreneur that's listening to this will say is, okay, with an MRR model, retention will decrease, churn will increase because you're on that monthly churn, you're on that monthly model. And just as opposed to a one-off or like an annual, the people's hesitation to go to the monthly is because they're like, oh, I don't want to deal with the increase in churn. And But for you guys, it's a point of pride to say that your retention is phenomenal and your churn is low. So what are the differences between the entrepreneurs that are starting up a digital product, digital service, and they're having people do this month-to-month service, and then they're either charging back, they're canceling subscriptions quickly, they're one in, one out, half in, half out, versus the way that you guys have done it, which is basically the right way. So what are the deltas and different things that people can be thinking about when it comes to their product, their approach, and their Mm -hmm. packaging to increase that retention with an MRR model? I'll let whichever one of you wants to start with it. If you don't mind me maybe swinging first at this, we can maybe work on so to speak, on this one. Yeah, I can go fast to some really important, very spicy and very actionable points here. So number one is that there's there's an important difference between how you do billing and how you position your price. So m- normally people will position their price around what the monthly rate is, as do we, right? But we don't bill on monthly. We don't actually don't have a, a monthly option anymore. The options are quarterly or annual. What this does, especially for a community product, as it is consistent with other forms of subscription-based products, is you have more time to just build that relationship with ultimately your customer, really like essentially prove that value and prevent then the churn. So we actually are very opinionated these days to say, if you're getting into community or anything that is a kind of an education or coaching or a little more intimate sort of product model that is subscription oriented, don't offer monthly. Do not do it. At minimum, Mm -hmm. offer quarterly. So that's number one. Number two is don't start down market, start up market. Another Mm -hmm. thing that I love talking about these days is quite frankly, don't start with marketing, start with sales. Don't worry about necessarily building an audience first. Audience building is very different than community building. If you want to get into this sort of stuff, especially if it's cohort-based, small group in nature, do sales, right? They're complementary skill sets. Obviously, they interlock. If you're a solo printer, if you're just starting out, if you don't have you know, venture funding or even a friends and family, like if you're just trying to do this on your own and you're some version of freelancing, start up market, have something that's higher price. Maybe do one-on-one coaching, right? Or consulting or small group stuff, build into a recurring uh, subscription-based model right? Get people in the door, offer even biannual billing, not even quarterly if you make that choice. What's up? Start higher market. Why? One, more revenue, right? You'll start generating more revenue quickly. Two, 
more voice of customer feedback. Like they will be more incentivized to tell you what you need to know, especially if you're early on in the process to then evolve your approach, right? To whatever it is, whether it's education in something digital commerce related, or even if you're teaching gardening, right? If you're, if you have a community around gardening, it does, it almost doesn't matter what the subject matter is. Then over time, if there's product market fit, if you start to build an audience almost by proxy, right? And some other efforts, then you could introduce other membership tiers more down market in terms of your pricing. So I'd say start on the, the higher end of that market. Number three, which maybe is an extension of number two, business to business partnerships, right? Go find other great creators, entrepreneurs, whatever term you want to use that are in your markets, do podcasts like this network, and then find really healthy, compatible ways of facilitating essentially cross-pollination, right? Uh, between your two kind of ecosystems, even if you're really small. And if you're starting out with just a small cohort limited-based thing, you only have so many seats. It's the more natural sometimes play to be like, look, I only have so many seats, but like my next cohort for blank is coming in as community-based. Maybe we could do a thing and you could recruit in and you could get into affiliate tactics and things beyond that. But I'll stop there. Yeah. Yeah, Love it. Pat, I'll let you, I'll let you riff on that. And then let's talk audience versus community. What's the difference? But first I'll let you riff on that. Yeah. Yeah. I was just letting Matt cook there for a while. That was awesome. Let him cook. (laughs) Let him cook. (laughs) A couple things come to mind. Number one, when it comes to anything recurring, you have to have a reason for people to continue to stay in. I think a lot of people have had these one-off courses and have tried to just convert them to recurring but they still get access to the same things anyway. And it's why would people keep paying over time? Because there's nothing new or there's no reason to stick around. This is where a lot of us see one-off sales for services and or one-off products, and then they just fall off. And I've had businesses that have done that before. With the model that we have now, though, and the way that it's built, and and I got to give credit to the team. We hired a person who is a curriculum expert to help us with this and who's still in our company today on the community team. Ashley, shout out to you. She built us this model using what we already had. So we had, let's say, a dozen online courses, right? And it was getting wild having to promote each of them one-off all the time. You can imagine how the list was just getting burned out from 12 different messages 12 times a year about 12 different products. So what if we instead put them all into one membership? Now, yes, a lot of creators have done that before, put all the courses into one thing, and then they end up charging thousands of dollars. But that's actually not of service to just have access to all of them because guess what? That's adding to the buffet line. That's just more content that without direction. So we had to add some curriculum around that. So we have a few things working in our favor with how the structure is and why people stick around and why our turn rates are so low. Number one, we have pathways. So you don't just come in and go, okay, like here's the library, like good luck. Depending on where you are in your journey, here are the pathways through the courses that would make sense for you. If you're a beginner, Hmm. take this course and this course. Do not worry about the other ones, but here are the three that you need to take in sequential order. The first one's gonna help you find your niche. Second one's gonna help you build your brand. Third one's gonna help you build your email list, for example. Cool, somebody comes in, they're already a podcaster. Cool, you don't need the podcasting course, but if you wanna take your podcast onto YouTube, take the YouTube course to learn how to do that, and then here you could build your email list, and if you wanna do sponsorships, take that course and you can add that on top of both of those, right? So we have these different pathways for people who are there. But the thing that's been working really well for us are the things that we call accelerators. And these are where you can go through, again, you have access to the courses at any time. You can go through any of them at any moment. However, throughout the year, actually voted on from the community members, we'll have accelerators. 
we're running one right now about podcasting. So a couple of weeks ago, we launched this inside of the group and anybody who's a part of the group can just take access and have access to that already, where you go through an eight-week program to go through my podcasting course with an instructor. Wow. The lessons aren't in real time though. The lessons are there in the course, but you're gonna each go through module one in week one, go through module two in week two. So whenever you can fit it in, after work or before work or midday during lunch, whatever. Now you're not, because we had run actually boot camps before where you had to show up at the beginning of the week and we teach in a lecture and it's live. And at the end of the week, we have another thing that's live, but they were very successful, but only 10 or 15 people could attend those because everybody's busy. Mm -hmm. This allows for asynchronous learning together with other people through something and at the end of the week, there's an office hours that people can go to to get questions answered, that they can ask questions at any time of the day and get answers directly and immediately from my team through that. And so that has worked really well because we have the number of people succeedingly going through those courses is like two or three times more than what it was when it was they were just on their own. Number two, they're getting to build partnerships and connections with people along the way with literally other students like them. They're like a class of freshmen going in through a course and going through the struggles and pains together and helping each other out at the, t at the same time. Plus, you also get a Credly, which is an actual certification through a company called Credly, which then you can use to put on your LinkedIn profile or your resume or something like that if you complete the course. So all these things put together allow for much more success with our students. And guess what? Then they're like, okay, that accelerator was awesome. When's the next one? Mm -hmm. Let me go to the next step. There is a reason to stay, right? And are you doing because, this community voting based to determine the topics and which accelerator you're running? Correct, correct. Got that it. is correct. So it's all coming from the inside. And then when we promote to the outside, we no longer have, hey guys, get my one-off course. It's actually $100 off until the end of the week, so get in now. We don't have to discount anymore, right? People were starting to get into the habit of waiting until the discounts came to buy from us. Not anymore. Now the urgency is, hey, our accelerator for the YouTube course starts next week. So if you wanna go in and get the best help you can and increase your chances of success by 66%, um, get in now before the end of the week. And that mm. works like crazy. So it's just working so well and I'm just so grateful for that. And uh, again, credit to the team and everything for taking all that we had and putting it into a place where we, we call them community powered courses now. So we still have the same courses. They're just being used and positioned differently. And it's adding up to this recurring uh, revenue that, again, we've never had in the business before, which is now more stable. It's growing. We see the predictability of that. We can invest for the future. And we're no longer, oh gosh, this next launch has got to be good or Crush. else we're done yeah. for, right? Yeah. Which is very common in, in the digital space. Yeah. So talk, talk, let's go into, because I know we're limited on time here. Let's go into audience versus community. Yeah. Whoever wants yeah. to take I that one this. first. Yeah, I can. It's a great segue even from, you know, Pat's remarks there. What I hope is now a little more clear, at least in terms of how we approach community, right? And community building is it's incredibly interactive and it's incredibly peer driven, right? The peer to peer uh, and small group components of our membership. That is to say, it's not passive. It's not necessarily easy right? It's a lot of really deliberate day over day facilitation, right? And the skills and the methods, and certainly at some point, the technologies that we're using also to make it all happen, right? That is a lot of energy. We have an entire team as has Pat and I have been shouting out today, 
that is devoted entirely to community. Like it is our version of a product team because community is our product, right? We have four full-time people on our team that have full-time salaries and benefits and everything else, right? Like it's a legit commitment to community and community building. And that is why we have low churn rates, right? Because the people that are joining increasingly become sticky. They stay not because of Pat, quite frankly, and not even me, right? They stay because of their friend, right? That they've met in the community that are going through these accelerator events together. They stay because they love Ashley and Jillian and Heather and David that are running different parts of the community and facilitating these different experiences that we have. This is what is then phenomenally different with audience building. Audience building is marketing. It is top of funnel in different aspects. It's certainly, if you approach it the right way, it's still a pursuit that should be based on trust building and getting your expertise and your personality and your point of view out there and trying to connect with the right people that you want to serve. Of course, some people certainly use audience building not in ethical ways, but and we won't drift into that territory. But but audience building is though chiefly built around you. If someone's following Pat's Twitter feed or X feed, it's because they want to follow Pat. And there's, yes, a little bit of interaction like in comments and things, and certainly true across other social media or, or other audience channels. But the person is at the center of it, where, again, in community, it's not, it's, that's not the point. Audience building is still increasingly like one to many. It's still largely a broadcast kind of channel, right? With some ability to interact and, and have the followers meet each other. But that's, again, nothing compared to what is possible and what should be true you know, within the community environment, right? There's other layers to that, but that's the chief distinction. Can you pivot? Not even pivot, but can you convert is is the better word. From audience into community? Yes. And that's what we do and, and what other folks that are now building into community-based business models are trying to do, right? Is to continue to have audience growth be essentially customer acquisition, right? Into their membership, into their community memberships. So both pursuits are worthwhile. They just require different skills, different personalities, and different expectations around what are goals to shoot for and how do you compile it all together into a thoughtful business. <clears throat> yeah. I love that. So this will be for Pat. And I know the answer is going to be some shade of it depends. So it always goes back to what comes first, the chicken or the egg? What comes first, the audience or the community? And of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask the question for people that are listening to this right now. And they're saying, okay, cool, Pat, cool, Matt, cool, Brian, must be nice. I don't have hundreds of thousands of followers. I don't even have 50,000 followers. I don't even have 10,000 followers. How can I make a business off of this? I haven't built up the audience yet. And they're looking at all these different platforms and looking at Twitter or X. They're looking at YouTube. They're looking at podcasting. And it all comes back down to the email list, which Pat, I'll let you riff on here in a second. But if you were to build an audience today and in the next three to five years, what are the most valuable platforms that a person should build the audience upon if they were to pick maybe just one or two of them? Yeah. Okay, a lot to, to unpack here. As far as platform to oh, choose, yeah. <laughs> it would be the platform that you feel like you would show up on even though you might not want to that day. Mm. Something that would give you energy, whether it's YouTube or podcasts or maybe even writing. Writing is still great. James Clear is still crushing it on his blog and he sold millions of books of Atomic Habits. But whichever platform that you feel like you would best serve an audience with, how you could best tell story and whatever platform that is, it could be TikTok. It could be it, literally any of those platforms can work. You just got to choose one that will can be a part of your life and that you can get excited about. So that's number one. Number two, when I think of the difference between audience and community, I think about I like to use physical things as analogies, right? I talked about the buffet line versus the sort of five course meal at a restaurant. 
in this regard, I want you to think about a physical audience, right? There's a stage, that's where you are, and there's the physical audience, right? They're all looking at you on stage, like Matt said. They're there for you. What is the value for them? It is you on stage. What would a community be in that sort of sense? What would that look like? That's the audience turning to each other, right? And you're there, you can still lead and you can still direct, but that's the audience turning into each other. So in order for value to come in a community sense, how many people might you need? You just need at least two people. That's it. And it could start with a small group text that you bring together, that you stay up to date on each other's stuff within a particular realm. And then that can expand from there and grow onto a different platform like Circle or something else down the road, maybe more online. But when you think about it in that analogy, you just need two people, right? A community could be five people in a chess club, right? That's a community. People who share the same ideas and who love this thing that people on the outside just don't get. That's where a community really really thrives. And how many people, what comes first? You need a little bit of an audience. From that audience, some of those people will become community members. And again, you just need two people to connect. And that's your job is to connect them. That's where a lot of very successful business owners, you'll notice that they are actually connectors in a space. They're really good at actually making connections. Hey, you and you need to meet each other. That's a value to those people to do that. And it makes you look good too because you were the one that made that happen. And you can do that in this sense, in a more digital sense, using community and the community tools that we have. It doesn't take a lot. There's an article that was written by a man named Kevin Kelly, senior editor of Wired Magazine, who wrote an article called A Thousand True Fans. And this is what mm-hmm. my book, Super Fans, is all based of. And many of us in the entrepreneurial space have heard. But just imagine a, th- that number, a thousand. Like in the grand scheme of things, that's not very much. If you had a thousand true fans, super fans, people who followed you for whatever you did because they love what you did, now imagine taking those super fans and introducing them to each other. Now you have your own version of Swifties, right? Who love you for your work and everybody else on the outside thinks it's weird. However, when you start dating a football player, now everybody cares about it, right? And now everybody's <laughs> watching football, Kelsey, if you don't know what we're talking about. And now Matt, Matt's going to start dating a football player. I saw now. him roll his eyes just for a half. <laughs> so anyway, like that's the kind of stuff that can happen in that fandom long way. But when those people find each other, if a person's walking down the street and they see a blonde woman wearing a Kelsey jersey, they're going to, hey, they know exactly the they same language. They, they, like they know each other without even having said anything yet. And that's the kind of thing that you can help create. And that just does nothing but support the longevity of your brand community, in my opinion, is business insurance. Mm-hmm. In my and opinion, I think yeah. That, I think it's so interesting too, because even from an enterprise conversation and evaluation conversation, it eliminates key man risk. So it's because if you, I feel like we're pivoting away from the online guru model a bit to where people are joining for just Pat or people are joining for anybody. They're like, oh, I want to go join this person's thing. I don't like, and you guys can tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that's a fantastic business model because when if you're not there then the, does the business even exist anymore and so that further accentuates what you're talking about pat with the power of community because when it's community when the value is derived from the community itself then that's where you actually have a running business anything that you guys would add to that riff on agree with or disagree yeah. with i have been able to since we've shifted to community have a lot more time to experiment with other things and actually be there in the community versus creating or I still create, obviously, but I'm not 
running the business as much anymore. And honestly, if something were to happen to me, the community would continue on. And we've seen this before. Who is it? Scott Dinsmore, Matt? Scott Dinsmore, Live Your Legends. A tragic story. He had this incredible community and then he ended up going hiking through the Himalayas and, and he actually had gotten killed while there. Oh, wow. And a young guy in his 20s and, and he had built this incredible brand that focused on community. He was one of the early adopters of a community-centric brand and his community still lives on today. Um, his wife is helping out, but even the leaders in that community stepped up to continue his message and continue to help that message that he was sharing of just living your best life to, to thrive all around the world, in fact. So rest in peace, Scott, but your legend lives on because of the community that you built. And you have a lot more leverage as a creator in that way as well. I wouldn't have been able to do any of the Pokemon stuff that I do now if it wasn't <laughs> for the fact that we shifted to this business model. On one hand, it's like, oh, then you're not important anymore, Pat. Some people might argue that. Oh, there you, well, go. you were you were the face of the brand and now it's now you're not even needed. And on one hand, it's I understand that. But it's also it's not about me. It, it never was about me. People were making it about me because I was the sort of leader and creator and I was showing up everywhere. But now it's about you. Now it's about you and how you connect and how you can grow. And I'm just here to continue to facilitate and help help. And of course, we have this great team and Matt on board to help do that, too. It actually speaks to the idea of we've built this business so well that it doesn't need me anymore. Mm. It's like you're watching your kid grow up and leave for college. Dude, me and Matt's baby is a little older now. It's, it's going off to college soon, and it's just, we're so proud of it. Can you walk through, because now that we're coming to the end of the interview here, I think this is an important point to hit on, because it's like your greatest bottleneck is going to be you in the business, and it's an ego thing, right? You have to peel your value and your self-worth away from your business. A lot of times, they allow it to grow. So was there any, was this an easy transition for you? Or that was there an inflection point? Was it difficult or was it more easy or less easy than you thought it would be? I had mentioned in the beginning, right? Like that I couldn't have imagined anybody else touching my business. And now everybody's touching my business. That's weird. Get your hands but, off my baby. Yeah. Even. <laughs> but in a way it makes sense because when I reflect back on what is the ultimate goal here, it's to help the most people. I like If I were to just think I could do all that myself, that's such a selfish, conceited way to think about it versus let me do what I do best, but I need some other people who do what they do best so we can together do that. And I know Matt, same thing, Matt had started winning edits and started companies. And now instead of owning his own company, he's CEO of the company that I started or that the one that we started together, there was a, a lot of that as well, I'm sure for Matt too, in, in terms of decisions on being the front of the brand and being CEO of his own company versus coming into an existing one. Matt, I'm curious your thoughts from your perspective as well. Yeah, th there's a number of Letting go. things there. So it probably just boils down to some combination of goals and vision, Brian and everyone listening. So classic business advice, are you building a job? Are you building a business? Are you building an exit? And not that's necessarily the rubric everyone needs to follow, but it can be very useful. So if you are pursuing a very noble objective of trying to replace a, a six-figure income from a corporate career and support your family and work on your own terms and serve the sort of people that you want, leveraging your talents and, and skills in a certain domain area, that's maybe you know, some definition of a really nice job that you want to build for yourself. And that would be fantastic if that's what you are signing up for, right? If that's your definition of winning. 
But it's a very different thing than if you're saying to yourself, actually, I want to build a business, right? Definitions are different. That might require having a team. That might require having a business partner. That might have different growth-oriented goals in terms of revenue or reach or levels of impact. And that's also fundamentally different from an exit. If you're building, as an entrepreneur, a company to sell, and it doesn't have to be a tech company, right? All sorts of businesses sell every day of different types, right? So like it's a, it can be a useful lens to think through, right? To begin to put some definition to goals and even strategic plans, something that I nerd out about and, and do a lot. For me personally, to be clear, like Pat and I are co-owners in the business. I am an entrepreneur. So and speaking to my motivations, like at least on uh, in parts, having ownership in something is critical in terms of my identity and motivation and something Pat and I have discussed a lot. And Pat shared that as well, because again, as he said, and, and, and I've said in different ways, we're building something bigger th- than us. We're not building jobs and we're definitely building a really thriving business and something that candidly, like should the right opportunity come along a long ways off probably from now, right? Could there be an exit event? Sure. Of course. Because again, mm-hmm. most small businesses don't last even in the best of times and small business owners and solo printers they don't necessarily think about necessarily even exiting. They're one generational at best, right? Because it's tied to them, right? And you asked a question about bottlenecks. Like even if they have a successful company, it's going to end at some point because at some point they run out of gas. They either burn out or it's or they retire or something happens. So thinking about like multi-generational vision to what you're building is a really intriguing thought. Something that motivates me, something that ties into me as a visionary. But as Pat mentioned, we're both visionaries and we're both integrators in a weird combination. But I think that's useful to think about as even from the beginning, if you're just starting out or, or starting your other venture. I've, I've had four exits. All of them are very different, but different stories. Mm-hmm. So it plays into what you think about if you're starting your next venture or your first one. Yeah. And in closing, I think it's important to reemphasize that because you have Gina Wickman, you have, we do EOS too. So we traction and all that. And Rocket Fuel is visionary integrator. And I think it's really important to emphasize what you guys are saying, where it's like, a lot of the times, it's not a black and white, oh, you are such an integrator. You are such a visionary. It's You have a little bit of both, but you still have to have that conversation to say, what role am I playing in this partnership? Because exactly. otherwise, it's just doomed for failure. If you have two people operating and two people being visionary, it doesn't work. So it's really cool that you guys have built this. But I could go on for another two hours on this, but for the sake of time, we'll end it right here. Bam! podcasting, baby, got us right on time. So Pat and Matt, where can people find you? Pat, where can people buy the book? Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate that. MartPassiveIncome.com is the website. We have a lot of our stuff there, the podcasts and the books and our newsletter, our Unstuck newsletter is, is super valuable. And of course, our community. So we talked a lot about community today. We have two, one that's for established entrepreneurs at SPIPro.com and then our all access pass. It's all there at SmartPassiveIncome.com. But if you wanted to give me a direct hello or let me know what you think about the episode here at Pat Flynn on most social media platforms and I'd love to say hi. Perfect. And then Matt? Yeah, I'll just double down on the most important thing, which is the community where we spend a lot of our time and invest uh, a lot of our resources. So All Access Pass is probably the best gateway for most entrepreneurs. So maybe for most folks listening, smartpassiveincome.com forward slash All Access. Beautiful. Then, ladies and gentlemen, all of these links will be in the show description. Pat and Matt, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, awesome, Brian. Brian. Appreciate this you. Fantastic. Yeah. With that's been Pat, Matt, and Brian with the Action Academy Podcast, signing off. <laughs>